I'm so delighted, uh, honored, and humbled to be here this evening and uh, um, to share with you some um, highlights of a very important and complex uh, topic uh, on gender-based violence in the Middle East. Um, so before, I think I will need some help dimming um, the light up front, I think. Might be helpful. Is this good or is it going to put you to sleep? <laughs> is this good? <laughs> okay. So, um, before we go ahead and get started, let's um, have a word of prayer together. Dear Father, I thank you for uh, being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for uh, being in our midst. And thank you for this opportunity of uh, bringing us together to uh, teach us, inspire us, and uh, um, help us to become better uh, uh, servants and more equipped for the mission that you have set ahead of, ahead of us. Uh, Father, uh, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who uh, intercedes on our behalf with unspoken rules. And we need you. Uh, I need you. Um, Humble me, speak to us, uh, teach us, and uh, inspire us this afternoon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so um, let me have a show of hands first if any of you has had any experience in the Middle East or is about to have one. Anybody? Wow, okay, that's a good number. <laughs> okay, um, so let me uh, take us through... Um, the outline of what we're going to discuss um, this evening. Uh, we're going to um, uh, define gender-based violence and maybe uh, uh, look at another uh, uh, terminology that's out there, violence against women, what, women, what's the difference? Uh, discuss the root causes and the inherent causes in the Middle East that um, makes it, uh, uh, or contribute rather to the complexity of the issue. Um, uh, a little bit about the epidemiology, it's quite uh, sporadic and we don't have much um, uh, reliable information out there. Um, uh, and we're going to discuss region-specific uh, challenges, um, uh, data challenges that we have to document uh, and evaluate uh, interventions. Um, uh, one uh, form of gender-based violence that I thought I would like to focus on a little bit is uh, female genital mutilation. That might be a little bit uh, kind of out of the uh, picture uh, for most of us and uh, tell you a little bit about it. Um, and the um, highlight on the evidence-based interventions and uh, opportunities for you guys, like uh, where to go from here. That's what we'll uh, conclude with. So, um, the, to kind of set the stage, most of my definitions and uh, information are from UN sources uh, like UNFPA, um, WHO, uh, the World Bank, and uh, UNA's uh, International Labour Organization, and so on. Um, a, 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 an interesting aspect of the uh, UN organizations is that they deploy and employ uh, universities, the best academic institutions around the world to study and get, uh, draw on the resources and expertise and then they uh, kind of uh, uh, put protocols and interventions together, uh, set it out. So um, what is gender-based violence? It, uh, 
It was uh, defined in uh, 1993, uh, the Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women, as any act that results or is likely to result in physical, sexual, psychological harm or suffering to women. And th this includes even threats of such acts uh, of coercion, uh, uh, arbitrary de deprivation of uh, liberty, uh, whether in public or in private. So that makes it a very, very wide uh, 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 range. So um, is it gender-based violence or violence against women? Well, gender implies that violence also, um, recipients of violence can be boys and men, which is true. However, um, the agreement, the consensus came on gender-based violence for several reasons, because women are, uh, and girls are uh, at the primary target often, and they're more vulnerable, um, given that they have, uh, don't have uh, access to resources um, and uh, uh, power to make a change, to take a stand, to take care of themselves. Um, gender discrimination and cultural norms uh, set uh, the stage for supremacy of boys, even in the family, and men over girls and women. Like, for example, uh, uh, in certain parts um, of the Middle East and probably elsewhere, a brother has the, even if a younger brother, like a 10-year-old brother, especially in the Gulf countries, I've seen this uh, <laughs> quite a bit, has the responsibility, uh, they are reared to um, discipline their sisters. Like his college student sister or whatever can slap her, can prevent her from going out, can control the way she dresses and everything. So that kind of gives you a, a, a glimpse of that. Um, uh, and then uh, women, of course, suffer the greater consequences uh, on uh, planned pregnancies, unsafe abortions in uh, most societies and uh, uh, the stigma, the discrimination, and so on. So that's um, why. Well, what are the forms of gender-based violence? Uh, many. Um, some of you are familiar with uh, the battering, the sexual abuse. Uh, interesting uh, phenomenon are emerging from, like, way back when, re-emerging, if, if you will, um, recently, over the past few years since ISIS came to the picture, is the... Um, uh, modern slave trade of females and girls, little girls are sold like uh, animals in the markets and are uh, sexually abused and uh, all the rest uh, used for domestic uh, services and whatnot. And uh, um, they receive no care whatsoever. Um, uh, rape, uh, forced prostitution, and uh, honor killing is, a, is another one that's very prevalent in. Uh, uh, Turkey and Iran, uh, for example, uh, uh, that is, it's uh, associated, so they relate the concept of honor to women and women's sexuality and uh, the, to the control of women. So uh, no extramarital se sex, um, modest proper dress and all the rest, and if she misbehaves, it can easily uh, uh, they, her family can kill her, uh, a brother or a father, and so on. Now, um, in terms of, uh, I have a, I guess, a, 
great testimony that I'd like to share with you in terms of uh, the modern slave trade. Um, I am affiliated with a team from Egypt that went to Iraq a couple of times to uh, Kurdistan uh, last, over the past couple of years. And um, in the, uh, this past uh, March, uh, they were there and um, the church uh, group that they um, their counterparts in the field, if you will, um, introduced them to a group of Yazidis. Yazidis are not Christians, they're not Muslims, they're a, they're a different type of belief. And um, uh, the, they suffered the most in terms of the uh, slave trade and the trafficking and uh, forced prostitution and all the rest. And this group had um, um, someone was ill uh, and uh, they asked uh, that the church, the group, our team said, offered to pray for them. They prayed. Uh, in a couple of days, the, this woman was healed. So she contacted the team again and she asked them to pray for their lost kids. Um, uh, four days later, after the team went back to Egypt, they got a phone call, like a cry of joy. 35 girls escaped like unknowingly and made their way to that uh, particular group. So prayer works, A, and B, um, the language of, of, of love, like the, how they got together is that we had, they, I wasn't there, but the group had them in a park and just played games and helped them through. There was a 12-year-old who was uh, um, raped repeatedly, daily, every single day, and she had no family, so this, the group, I mean that's the best you can group because they, the people who don't know each other kind of took her in and whatever they sheltered, she sheltered with them and so on. So kind of to give you a, a perspective on what happens today in, in the Middle East. Um, so the impacts of uh, gender-based violence are numerous uh, and I'm not going to, I have a challenge of um, um, yeah, uh, heavy uh, duty um, uh, presentation and uh, uh, limitation of time. So I, wasn't, I just wanted to refer to the like, physical, psychological, socioeconomic, uh, family uh, and dependence um, uh, consequences. There are impacts on the society, uh, violence uh, spreading in the society and on the perpetrators if or if they don't, don't get uh, uh, punished for their crimes. So I will share, um, focus on the um, uh, consequences of female genital mutilation because I think they're uh, perhaps be new to, uh, to some of you guys. Um, okay, so this picture I got, I think I got from a UNFPA. Uh, uh, oh, how did this happen? Oh, oops. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Um, so this this is an example of physical and sexual um, psychological violence condoned by the states. Like uh, in Saudi Arabia, I know for sure, and in Iran, if you're say if your um, cover head cover or whatever happened to like fall or slide a bit, you can find that there are police, uh, police forces, or if you will. Um, that they go around and look for that and you, you get a hit with a stick wherever it falls and so on. And uh, one time I was in uh, Iran, um, 
I guess my, I want to share this, um, the, my feelings and my experience uh, being coerced to wear a, I had to cover my head and wear long sleeves and it was summer and it was very hot and long dress and everything and um, but I was with, uh, with uh, someone, a colleague, in the, uh, driving um, in the city, and then uh, cars um, uh, approached us, and the women, woman in the car yelled at us, and I think she was cursing. My friend told me, uh, my Iranian friend uh, told me she was cursing and all of that. Uh, she said, because your scarf slided a little bit, and she's gone honking her horn and all the rest. So that's kind of life um, uh, yeah, over there. Um, Okay, so um, uh, as, as far as uh, the big picture, one in uh, three women ex will experience uh, gender-based violence in her lifetime. Uh, uh, women will be uh, assaulted an average of 35 times, or a woman, before she uh, reports it to the police, that if she can report it to the police, if there is such a thing where, where she lives. Um, in the world, there are um, 700 million women uh, alive today who've been married below the age of 18, and one, uh, more than one in three were married before the age of uh, 15. Uh, girls are considered a liability sometimes if you have too many kids in the family, so marry her off so you can get rid of her and kind of focus on the boys and so on. Don't have to worry about feeding and clothing and all of that. Um, more than... Um, uh, uh, 133 million girls uh, and women have experienced some form of gender, um, female genital mutilation in the 29 countries in Africa, including uh, Egypt. Um, uh, the, in Jordan, the prevalence of early marriage is on the rise uh, uh, among Syrians uh, who are um, um, refugees there. Um, uh, that's over the past uh, year, couple of years or so. And in Kurdistan, uh, which is northern Iraq, which is uh, uh, the region that hosts a uh, 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 couple of millions, maybe, of Iraqi refugees and Syrian refugees, um, uh, women had um, directly been offered money uh, for sexual services. One in ten have been approached or pressurized by UN officials, NGO uh, personnel, like... Uh, uh, government personnel and, and so on. So these are the, the, the agents who are supposed to protect them and provide for them. Um, the, uh, uh, WHO study, like the study, okay, so reliable data are scarce and are limited and um, we don't have uh, enough, uh, we, we don't have comparable data um, to um, uh, in, in, in the region and uh, otherwise. It's very, very scarce. So uh, WHO study in 05 um, looked at 15 sites in 10 countries and um, uh, they found that 15 to 71% of the women experienced uh, physical, um, sexual, or both uh, forms of violence uh, from an intimate partner, which is the most common form of, uh, of violence is someone from the family or uh, from home. Um, in seven out of these countries, 30 to 60 percent of the women uh, experienced experience that at some point in their lives. Um, 
so so that study focused obviously on intimate partner violence, leaving like interesting uh, populations, if you will, that I've never um, found anything in the literature about it. It's a population that lives in the Middle East. They're not Middle Eastern, but they're from uh, 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 Southeast Asia and uh, who work in the Middle East in the labor force and in uh, domestic help and um, and um, in hospitals and everything, and they are um, subject to uh, uh, gender-based violence because uh, they, they don't have any freedom like their um, uh, sponsor, um, uh, sponsor family or person. They take their passport so they have no freedom to leave or uh, anything, and they're just at the mercy, so they have nothing, no um, um, resources for help and... Uh, uh, again, I, um, when, uh, during my tenure at Hopkins, I uh, uh, ran into a family, befriended a family from Qatar who come, uh, come to the United States for treatment, uh, for treatment at Hopkins. And uh, uh, this lady, she was a very nice lady, Muslim lady, obviously had a, uh, her uh, helper with her who was from Sri Lanka, a Christian, lovely Christian young woman. Um, I kind of approached her and she found out that, that I was a Christian and she was thrilled and I tried to give her some like literature to help her out and whatnot and she couldn't get a Bible but we would maybe read from time to time. She didn't have the Bible, she was there, she was a Christian, there is nothing she could do but provide for her family. So this population is neglected. Um, so. So far, we have um, uh, countries that have national uh, level data uh, available for the past 15 years on uh, physical assaults on women by uh, male partners. Um, that's, um, here's a list of the country. most countries. Most of them are in Europe, uh, in North America. There are some South America. Um, but... Um, uh, Egypt, interestingly, is listed here, but uh, I know that it has very limited. Okay, so I, uh, before I move into the um, uh, crisis situation in the, uh, in the Middle East, uh, uh, focusing on Iraqi and Syrian um, internally displaced people and refugees, this slide I um, used uh, uh, last year when I was here, the, uh, just kind of uh, give you a comparison. So as, around the same time, uh, uh, 1.9 million people were displaced, Iraqi, Iraqis were displaced, and 5.3 needed health uh, services. Let's see the picture um, this year, at this time. So the, uh, right, to your left is Iraq and to your right is uh, Syria, the same resources. Uh, people who are in need jump to 8.6 million. The refugees in one year jump from, from 1.9 to 3.2. You go figure. I mean, they live anywhere from under a bridge to a, um, an abandoned place. Some live in apartments. I mean, of course, the situation has evolved, but it, it has uh, gone downhill in many ways because of the continued influx and the uh, uh, just uh, the, 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 there is not enough resources and human resources to care for them. However, it's an amazing opportunity for uh, 
love and care and ministry and they're open to hear anything anything that's different from what they had to go through at the hands of their you know religion and so on so that's that's been um, uh, just a wide open field out there um, and in Syria is the uh, on the other side um, you you see the figures there um, so it's it, and let me, let's kind of put one thing in perspective here. The basic needs for shelter, water, food uh, in winter time uh, covers and all the rest is urgent, immediate, and uh, unfulfilled. So don't even think, uh, you know, to uh, attend. Nobody has the time or energy or even the thought to address uh, a woman who was raped or anger who was. Uh, assaulted and all of that, uh, stuff like, uh, issues like post-traumatic stress is not even on the table and so on. Um, okay, so, so um, yeah, so that's basically what I was saying, the, uh, and the mental health of, of um, of, that, of the displaced Iraqis and Syrians is not formally assessed. It's mostly documented by invisible uh, anecdotal reports, uh, journalists and, uh, you know, uh, church personnel and so on. Um, uh, recent study identified trauma as a key, um, key influence on the mental and physical health of Iraqi refugees in Sacramento, California, and also made it to California, so post-traumatic uh, and anxiety, depression were documented as mental health issues that are being ignored uh, over there. Um, uh, so, and of course, they, as a culture, there is a huge reluctance to uh, share or um, disclose any mental issues or illness because of stigma and uh, ostracization and so on. Um, so, the other po uh, issue is that we don't have, uh, or there are... Um, lack of uh, trained health uh, professionals, mental health professionals, um, social workers and all the rest. They, the church trains lay people, they give them like a crash course or whatever to kind of help people out, but uh, uh, violent death, kidnappings and assaults on physician led, physicians led to uh, they're either killed or might, you know, left uh, uh, areas where they, their hometowns or whatever. Um, um, and so, yeah, so the interventions are basically left to intermittent short-term mission work or other medical um, uh, relief um, uh, work and so on. Um, okay. Interestingly, I, I got this obviously, obviously on the internet that uh, I, uh, ISIS, well, female genital mutilation is very high in Egypt, uh, interestingly enough, and uh, uh, now it is, it's going on that ISIS is, which I wouldn't be surprised, nobody would be, and is um, inducing it on women and girls who are out there. So if we um, consider the um, uh, root causes, the inherent causes of, uh, of gender-based uh, uh, violence, an ecologic model has uh, been in place um, uh, in the late 90s. And it, it can best be, uh, be visualized as like four concentric uh, circles, as you can see. The uh, innermost one represents the uh, biological, like the person, the person, the biological and the personal uh, history, 
of the uh, perpetrator, the second one, the relationship of that perpetrator to the um, victim, uh, whether it's marital conflict, uh, uh, male control over wealth, uh, and then it goes to the larger circle, which is the um, um, community um, community context in which uh, this happens, the institutions, the social structures, both formal and informal, in which the relationships are embedded, and uh, the neighborhoods, the workplace, uh, 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 the peer groups, the networks, um, and then the um, like fourth. Uh, our, the, the outermost circle is the econo economic and social environment, including cultural uh, uh, norms that um, distinguishes between the proper roles of men and males and females, uh, uh, boys and girls. So the, um, so the inherent uh, uh, causes in the region basically justifies violence uh, uh, frequently. Um, Justification of violence is, uh, is based on gender norms. Like I said, the, the roles, the proper, how you carry yourself, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And then uh, these norms position males on um, aggressive, powerful, um, macho, unemotional type person, controlling all the rest. And on the other hand, suppresses the woman and the girl. Um, uh, uh, so passive, uh, uh, submissive, and so it um, leads to an unequal uh, gender uh, roles, which is very different from the way God designed us. God designed us different, but to complement one another and with very unique and special um, gifts and characteristics, not for one to dominate over the other. Um. Oops. So basically, this is a statement from the International Labour Organization that, that um, sums it up. Uh, so the orientation of culture, uh, the shared beliefs, even in subcultures, like the example I gave earlier, um, a brother has the right to discipline and control his sister. Uh, um, so they define the limits of tolerable behavior, it's okay, it's accepted, you can't leave the home, he said, because I said so, and I'm your kind of 11 teenage brother who controls your, yeah, yeah, your whereabouts and, and all of that. Um, um, so the, the which in, in, you probably are aware in South America as well in, in the Middle East, um, rape is justified. In most cases, in Iran, for example, there is the um, legal, I don't know what, uh, how to translate the term, but it's uh, legalized prostitution, but it is a, it's uh, condoned in the country by the government. As a man, you have the right to have a woman a day, a month, ten months without marriage, get her pregnant, get her HIV, when you're, sorry? Pleasure marriage. Pleasure marriage, thank you very much, yes. And then when you're done, you're done, and she has no rights, nothing whatsoever. And, uh, and, and that's for real. I had a discussion with the, that was a few years back with the Assistant Minister of Health on that topic, and he was justifying, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, that was uh, a revelation at the time. Um, um, okay, so 
what, like seriously, what is the root cause of gender-based violence, among other things? There is a Satan who uh, came to steal, devour, destroy, and when you think about it, the three wishes like that's kind of how I put it together. Um, the three vicious circles of disease, ignorance, and poverty that are induced by Satan. When God changes the heart, the person changes, and um, that is basically the bottom line, and that's what we're here for, because God equipped us and empowered, empowered us, whether we know it or not. Uh, we're kind of ready to go, but it's, it's, I think, us that get distracted and kind of... Uh, out of focus. So the myths of gender-based violence um, um, uh, probably are a minor minority group of uh, mentally ill men. This is not true. Poverty and war that uh, lead to attacks of abuse of women. This is not it. Like we went, uh, like going down the list, we um, covered that, that part. So uh, it's an inherent part of maleness. This is not true. Um, okay, so let's kind of move quickly to female genital mutilation. Anybody kind of is, has, a, has a good grip on this topic? You guys know? Okay, some of you? Okay. Okay, so it refers to procedures that involve uh, partial or total removal of female external uh, genitalia or the injury of other genital organs for cultural and non-medical reasons. It's not religious because the reason that the, the rationale for this is it's practiced only in some countries of the Middle East, like Egypt, Qatar, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, for example, the, the kind of... Uh, you know, um, head of Islam is uh, it's not it's not practiced over there. So um, um, and it, it still it still is. There are four types of uh, FGM, and uh, so it, so type one they do a partial or total uh, removal of the uh, uh, clitoris and the prepuce. Uh, the second one partial or total removal of the clitus and the labia minora without excision of the majora and then it kind of, it escalates where they, um, the third part, the first and the second part are the parts are the most common parts and the third one where um, there is narrowing of the vaginal or, uh, orifice with um, a, com uh, a covering seal that is removed later on and uh, all in the fourth type is all uh, other harmful practices. Um, that they, here is the tragedy um, in, in, in FGM. Like, who practices FGM? Women, um, traditional birth attendants with a razor, a piece of glass, a rusty knife. That's a serious, you guys. I mean, in this day and age. Um, or the, um, that are <laughs> a professor, a GYN professor in a university uh, advertising safe female circum circumcision. Circumcision? Is it circumcision? It's not. It's different from male circumcision. It's not. It's not needed. Um, safe? 
reflect seriously. If, you know, depending on what type of family wants to perform on a woman, on a little girl, and that's the other thing that it's performed on, sometimes on babies, and, and sometimes from the girls, all the way, like, children, teenage, through uh, adulthood, before uh, getting married or after getting married or whatever, sometimes that, that's the case. So, um, so you go figure. Complications, clinical consequences, you're ready for the, for the list. Um, there are, of course, the immediate complications vary from uh, pain, uh, shock, hemorrhage. Uh, when I was um, an intern, I, 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 we did like we were not prepared for this at the time. We get, um, I remember once uh, I got a young woman hemorrhaging like crazy, and it was her first I guess wedding night and she had had circumcision and things kind of got uh, wrong because of the uh, ill procedure that was formed on her years ago and so on. Um, uh, ulceration of the genital regions, injury uh, of, of tissues around the, around the region, wound infection, infection tetanus, I mean you name it. Uh, and uh, when I worked for the garbage collectors community in Egypt, um, so we tried, we had um, a, a program reaching uh, traditional uh, birth attendants, CBAs, and we had a UNICEF had a kit. Uh, so instead of using their rusty, and of course their income is limited, so they're not going to kind of care or worry about getting anything clean, and the water was scarce at the time, and all the rest, uh, like running water. So we had a, a program through UNICEF to um, put together a TBA kit, uh, where they can use it. Like it or not, they're going to do, you know, circumcise the women, the girls. But that was unsustainable, because she was going to Fun this later on. I mean, the idea was great. They got the training. Some of them got the skill, but then, then what? And that's the fate of most of the programs, interventions, uh, gender-based violence. Um, uh, sometimes they're just uh, look at you. You can't just target um, one area and, and leave the, the rest. It has to be a sort of a comprehensive approach, if you will. Long-term consequences, as you can imagine, uh, anemia. Uh, form formation of cysts, abscesses, keloid scars, damage um, uh, to the urethra, uh, incontinence, dyspareunia, uh, sexual dis dysfunction, and then she is to be blamed. And then she's thrown out and she's like divorced and, and so on. And I, I'll never forget this. Once I had uh, a colleague, like I think I was uh, talking about um, family planning methods and anyways, the guy, discussion got into FGM and she's a doctor and her husband is a doctor and they were going to circumcise their daughter and I'm like, are you crazy? Like, why? Why? How can you do this? She said, I'm going to do it. And it's like, why? So that the, the thing, uh, the, the big thing is that it, it, um, it will um, protect them from getting sexually active before marriage. That's all they can think of, period. And it doesn't matter who performs it. If you're in a village, like you don't have access to a, uh, a doctor, you don't have the finances to go to a doctor, at least, you know, in a better conditions, that's what you're left with. Um, 
so again, menstrual disorders, difficult urination, uh, a physical barrier to sexual intercourse and childbirth. So this has to be re like undone, uh, you know, right around the wedding uh, night or whatever for the marriage to be consummated. And this, I think, this is what happened if I. Uh, when, when that girl came to the emergency room that night. Um, so, uh, this is the picture. Um, yeah, there are some obstetric uh, consequences. A recent study by uh, the WHO uh, concluded that women with FGM are significantly more likely than those without an FGM to have um, adverse obstetric out outcomes. Uh, and the risks seem to be greater than uh, with, um, I guess, the, the, uh, as more cutting is involved. Okay. So, what are the sort of like um, intervention areas for gender-based violence? These are evidence-based, meaning that they have been tried and we know that they work. And they are um, four categories, uh, programs implemented by USAID in different parts of the world and, and UN organizations. Uh, all the programs run under these uh, four categories. The community mobilization is a very important one because you're bringing together all the uh, key uh, organizations and civil society NGOs, religious leaders who have a say in this, who uh, can uh, uh, work on uh, the community, can lead the community into thinking and considering otherwise uh, as far as gender-based violence is concerned. Um, uh, behavior change communication, um, they target the uh, behavior, they raise awareness, the attitude uh, in order to change the prevailing norms. The boys and girls complement each other. We have different roles and um, empowering women, uh, and, and so on. Uh, interventions under service, service delivery uh, to detect cases of violence, uh, provide victims with care, um, support they need, perhaps some legal actions, reporting. But again, in, in refugee settings, forget it that none of this is, is available. Um, uh, in refugee settings, especially if you're dwelling in... Uh, the countries that receive most of the Syrian and Iraqi refugees in the Middle East are Egypt, Jordan, um, uh, a couple other countries that I can't think of, but uh, there, there is an, an effort to mainstream Lebanon, thank you. Uh, there is an effort to mainstream the uh, um, refugees into the main health care system, which is not Super fantastic, but at least they have access to care uh, when they when they need it. So I, in Egypt, this was done in a, a couple of cities in Alexandria, out north, and um, um, and that's the UNCHR is working on this. The other uh, important uh, arm um, is the legal and policy programs uh, to. Uh, to make gender-based violence a legitimate human rights issue, uh, issue countries signed uh, on the declarations to end uh, the violence, but that doesn't. Uh, 
change doesn't happen overnight, uh, especially with the um, volatile situation out there. Um, okay. So, we talked about the issues. We talked about like a sort of an overview of the problem. What about um, opportunities for us? Like, why am I here? Why am I in this session? Uh, yes, maybe I need, I would like, um, interested in the topic, I'm here for some information, but then what? Like, why are, in, why are we in Louisville to begin with um, over the weekend? So, uh, I see incredible research opportunities for those of you who are engaged or who are interested in that. Uh, uh, for example, the domestic workers in the Gulf uh, countries in Saudi Arabia, assessment and management of uh, gender-based violence in Iraq, Syria, among Iraqi, Syrian and Sudanese refugees. Um, Sudanese refugees also tend to be neglected. There is a huge population of them in, in Egypt as well, among other countries. Um, I want to take a minute and talk about uh, corporate prayer. Um, prayer in your small group, prayer in your church, what you can do to, in, to influence that. And uh, what uh, I tell you guys, prayer in Egypt turned the fate of the country around, over, I mean, seriously. Like, the, uh, uh, when the Egyptian, the um, Muslim Brotherhood president was there for a year, it, it drained the country. I mean, what, Christians migrated to the West like illegally, uh, went to seek asylum beyond, I mean, by the thousands, overnight. They were scared. There are some people who, lots of people, who did not leave, who were not scared, because they were praying. And prayer changed, and prayer got 30 million people in the, people in the streets, 30 million plus, to kick this guy out, and then turn the country around. And, and, and my prayer like, started 15 years ago um, for God to visit this country and make it a light to shine in the region. And God is at work. There is another thing that happened um, as a result of this. Okay, so Christians were scared and everybody was kind of counting their faith. Women were having black scars and uh, getting ready in the car, in their cars. And Egyptians would have been displaced like Syrians and Iraqis. But God had another, um, I guess, view in mind. Um, so, so all of this got, got turned around because of, of prayer. And it's something... Um, so at, most churches over there now have weekly prayer meetings that are packed. People just go to pray and sometimes overnight. And that makes things happen. Uh, like that, that there is no question. Um, so short-term medical missions. Um, a friend of mine, my, I, I actually met her last year here, Tara, is not here this weekend because she's in Egypt. She just, just went. Like I came back and she went over um, with a team. Um, and she's a pediatrician and she is, uh, she's there now. Um, um, raise awareness in your um, church and your small group. Um, pray and see what God, how God can God use you in your community, um, medical school, workplace, whatever that is to uh, perhaps raise awareness and make a difference in, in this uh, problem. Um, 
So, um, I know that Jesus delivers and he sets free and he already won the victory so we don't really have to try hard and he equipped us. But I am for the most part oblivious uh, about the power that I have in him. So in Luke 9, 1 and 2, I read those uh, this, these two sections uh, not too long ago, a few months ago and I kind of suddenly clicked uh, when Jesus uh, there about Jesus sending the 12 and the 70 uh-huh. so when Jesus had uh, called the 12 together he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick and then in Luke 10 um, Jesus says I, I have given you the authority uh, to trample snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. We have, uh, we have God on our side and we get to uh, be his agent. Um, for one, when I was in medical school, I had no idea what, where I will go, what will I do. But God does things and he sends you places. And... Uh, um, <coughs> Sometimes I wish I knew what I know now a while back so I would have taken more advantage of that power that I have in Jesus. But uh, what I, um, nothing is too impossible for him. Peter, the guy who uh, denied Jesus three times in front of servants and whatnot, this very guy Jesus chose to be the rock that, upon whom to build his church. Peter is the only the best of my knowledge, uh, the only uh, disciple in the Bible, the Bible mentions that when his shadow uh, would go over sick people, they get healed. All the adjacent towns knew and brought their sick in the streets, so Peter, Peter's shadow can, uh, you know, kind of go over them and they get healed. And this happens today. Not the shadow thing, but people pray, I mean, not that I know of, but Jesus reveals himself and people pray for the sick and Jesus heals them. And as Rabbi Christ says, one of my favorites, uh, I cannot try and find uh, an opportunity to bring this guy up, uh, find out what God is doing and go join him. So uh, now uh, I have time for questions. If you guys have any, be happy to answer any. Yes. What do short-term opportunities look like for gynecologists? Um, I can't. I mean, I can't answer. Uh, the question was about short-term opportunities for gynecologists. Um, there are several organizations, and I think they are represented here at the exhibition booth. Um, uh, like uh, uh, an organization, home uh, and others who send uh, uh, individual, like, uh, will work with you to coordinate uh, this opportunity. I mean, gynecologists, goodness gracious, I mean, definitely need it uh, anywhere in the region. And so I, I know they are. There are also settings, like in Egypt, I know there are eight hospitals, Christian hospitals that are out there, and they're always, they always are blessed with, you know, short-term, um, yeah, work and so on. Check home.
Any other questions? Yes, please. Ah, good question. Can, it, can female uh, genital mutilation be repaired surgically? I don't have the expertise to answer this, this question, but I can find out and get back to you. But uh, uh, is someone? Yes, please. Please go ahead. Sometimes when they have major fibrillation, then that has to be taken down for them to deliver their babies. And the sad thing is that the women, even here in the States, when they come from Sudan and these other places, want to be sewed back up again because it is so ingrained in them that this is their obligation in their society to protect men um, to have this done. So, yes, you can surgically do and, and you brought up a good point, Sheila, that in, in the U.S., we, goodness, I didn't even think about, think of it, but we have immigrants in this country, right? Australia, Canada, all over the place. Guess what? They practice, FGM is practiced in this country today. I have no idea who does, I mean, that I, I want to look into this and get more information on it. Yes, please. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, a talk on FGM at 9.20 tomorrow morning. Okay. Yes. I also want to say that I think the UN can do what they try to do in, in USAID and all of these groups, but I think Christians have the real answer. Absolutely. And I think we have an incredible obligation because until these people believe in human dignity, and the fact that we are the image bearers of God, that's what will make a difference, that the respect comes to these women. So we are in a very unique position as Christians and with our witness, I think, being called into this kind of work. Yes, and uh, in fact, even when you talk to Muslims, I mean, so, the, so like one approach is, is God work of creation imperfect? Are you trying to fix what God did? I, you know, like what is wrong with you? So that kind of, you know, is a, is a helpful approach as well. Do you have a question? Uh, okay, good, good question. Um, I, um, I think I, the, 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 the thing is, we, change was not measured. And that's one of the um, challenges that like, we, I alluded to earlier. Um, um, okay, so, like communities that I go to um, repeatedly, and talk about these issues, for example, hitting children, hitting the, you know, girls, and that's, that's a thing. You say something wrong, boom, slap, 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 and uh, girls go out and, you know, they're deceived by, you know, Muslims, and they get into trouble and all the rest. So it, it um, all, I um, work with... Um, church organizations and sometimes we get like we get we address everybody there is a program that 
I did like uh, 22 episodes of uh, so kind of seven minute episodes in Arabic, uh, tackling the different uh, topics, uh, including FGM and um, violence against women, so STIs, HIV AIDS, and so on, uh, targeting Middle Eastern kind of women, women young women. Um, but you can't measure change, unfortunately. It's the disseminated uh, um, on SET7, if you're familiar with SET7, which is, by the way, I don't know if some of you know, the um, office was closed down in Egypt. The headquarters is elsewhere, Cyprus, I think. But the office is, was closed in Egypt. The police came and kind of confiscated uh, uh, equipment and so on. The, the, the claim is that they're not licensed to do something or another, and it's been closed for like three weeks now. So, um, but anyways, um, uh, when I went through the garbage collectors, yes, I mean we had programs targeting specific issues there, but uh, regrettably, and we the change was not assessed. Uh, but I'll tell you. Um, uh, you know, long suffering. <laughs> if you wish, it takes time. And a key factor is finding the gatekeepers and key individuals in the community um, to be your allies and back you up on that. Like, convince them. And they'll make the change happen. Because people respect them. And if, if they hear the word from them, then it's done. Okay, and then I'll take you. Go ahead, please. Mostly the urgency of the situation, or the, I guess, overwhelming situation does not leave room for um, research. Like, uh, say, UN is considered with, uh, I mean, is concerned, burdened with other um, priority or pressing matters. Um, researchers are not, I mean, the situation is volatile, so countries are issuing travel warnings and whatnot, so nobody wants to touch this now. Most there are, these individuals are not nowhere to be. I mean, some of them <coughs> are found in shelters, but there is a, a vast majority that we don't know where they are and what they're going through. Uh, you get uh, anecdotal bits and pieces from those who escape, for example, and they're very. It's very difficult to. You don't when you get them. You don't even have the trained personnel to. Um, you know, the, some sporadic studies are taking place for sure, but they they don't bring anything close to the real picture, but just some, yeah, so, so all the above. Yeah. You had a question, and then I'll come back to you. Yeah, how do you think we could do a better job of mobilizing more men on this issue? Because it seems like these cultures only respect what men have to say, or at least respect it a lot more. But just, um, just looking around the room, the majority of women, and yes. Um, absolutely. I mean, by all means, because men will... Okay, yes, I, I experience this all the time. So here I am, a woman, and I have a... a the best time when I get work done is if I don't have men around with me. <laughs> otherwise, I mean, seriously, I, I love it. I mean, I... The, uh, but, like, in these settings, if you know what I mean, I, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it just... They totally... 
pay attention to the male figure, doctor or otherwise, nurse, pharmacist, whatever. That's they bond, they relate, and so if you, as Christians, that we have the heart and um, and we have the I guess the responsibility and the calling and all of that. Yeah, one yes. Yes, and there are interventions that are targeting men again. So you target uh, key leaders in the communities and gatekeepers, and to, to because they are the ones who's go, who are going to influence the behavior change. And uh, and engage, you know, there are so many good programs that engages men, and um, and, uh, and it's all over the place. And if you, if you care to look at it, but uh, definitely by all means, yes. Surprised in Michigan because it has a, a heavy, I mean, just kind of, yeah, Dearborn and Detroit, yeah. I think we're running out of time, but how, yes. does, how does bride price and dowry mix in with the um, violence towards women? I, I believe it's uh, uh, marrying off girls at a very young age, like she is promised to, I mean, it could be 30 years. Um, 30 years difference in the age, man or older, being older, has several several wives and bringing this 15 year old or whatever. So dowry is the it's basically they're selling the parents or the father is selling his daughter because of poverty, you know, um, need of money or just because she doesn't matter. He has like others in the household. So maybe I'll take one last question and then we can wrap it. Yes, please. Okay. I just want to say, I'm a nurse in one of the hospitals there, and I've come across, um, uh, I'm from Kenya, and so I relate very well with people who come here from African countries, yes. and I have had opportunities where they open up to me and they tell me of the violence that's going on in their home, and as a nurse, it is my duty to report yes. anything that I hear. I cannot just say I did not hear that. Um, and so if you hear it, it doesn't make you a bad person to report it because they have trusted you. But I find that if you let it go or because other people are saying it's okay for him to hit her or um, it's she was on the wrong, it doesn't really matter what she did. He did not have a right to hit her. And so um, if you hear or sense, I think... It's your responsibility as a healthcare worker to report anything that goes on that doesn't. Um, they're in the United States, and so they have to follow the laws of the land. If they were in Somalia, that would be a completely different, you know, picture. So I say, if they're in the United States, you know, you follow the laws of the land. So the law of the land says you, you know, do not abuse somebody like that. So if you if you encounter them, please don't. It's very easy to just cover down and say, oh, it's cultural. Yes. It's not. Great point. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, and that kind of adds to the list of what, what we can do even. 
you know, be attentive and, you know, for individuals who might be hurting who come to you for practice. Thank you so much, and uh, I'll uh, stick around if you have any questions.